We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hi, everybody. It's Kirk Henderson, host of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. Today, I'm rejoined by my old friend and current Ringer staff writer, Jonathan Sharks. John, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm excited to get back into basketball, that's for sure. I, I really am, too. I didn't think I would be, but now that it's here, I'm I'm going to watch. You can bet that because I've, 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 I might have reached the end of Netflix and, like, happy television and things that I could watch. Well, I don't want to take up too much. have nothing else to do, Kirk. Nothing. No, nothing. And now I get to stay up late again instead of staring at Twitter, which is, you know, a better basketball is a better use of my time anyways. So the uh, the reason I wanted to have you on is I, I didn't notice this because I just don't read as much on the Internet anymore. But I caught your article from last week called How the Mavericks Built the Best Offensive Lineup in History. And for folks who don't remember, earlier in the season, Sharks wrote a basically the defining story on Luka Doncic's like rise to MVP candidacy. And, you know, now we're, we're looking at the offense months later. They have a – they've posted 116.7 offensive rating for the season, which is is just – it's historically incredible in a way that's, that's really kind of hard to contextualize. And that's really the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about. Like, what, what do we make of this rating? Are they that good on offense, or is this stat just broken? I think, well – I think it's more a reflection of the way the game is changing. Because to me, like, as I was doing the research on this piece, just watching the team, I think it's fair to say they have the best floor spacing of all time, right? In terms of being able to space the floor one to five, catch defense on as far as it can possibly go, they have the best floor spacing ever. So it makes sense they have the best offense. 
and it's really just that simple in terms of like like that's kind of the basis of how they fit everything else in because yeah that's the foundation of it well watching some of these scrimmages it's incredible like against the pacers you know i've watched all the scrimmages because i'm a weirdo and i have nothing else to do and against the pacers they hung up 37 points in the first quarter and then when they go to like a slightly different lineup everything just seems to fall apart and that's that's one of the many things that I wanted to talk to you about because you you know focused on the first thing you really you really hit on was that when they moved Tim Hardaway into the starting lineup everything seemed to fall into place. I don't know what to make of Tim Hardaway's season because I keep waiting for some sort of regression. Is he playing like differently, or is is this just kind of the Mavs are a beneficiary of like an outlier year for him? I think a couple of things. The regression, he is having his highest catch and shoot three season ever, right? That's a concern that I'm going to come back to Earth a bit. But he's also playing with the best point cards that I played with in Luca by a substantial margin. I think that A is part of his Luca effect. I think B, too, he's 27. I think he's ready to win. He's kind of gotten his, he's sowed his wild oats, essentially, in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. He's played on bad teams. He's taken a trillion shots. He's lost a bunch of games, and he really has no rep around the league as anything but a stat, a stat pattern, right? Right. So now he's in the prime of his career. He's ready to win. He's ready to buy in. He has a chip on his shoulder, right? This is his fourth team in six, seven years. Right. With two stops in the mix. So I just think it's a perfect storm. Like, generally, this is why you want a guy in the prime of his career, right? You want a guy who's been through the battles, who's learned the lessons, who understands his role while still being in the peak athletic condition. And that's what he is right now. So I expect to see this version of THA for at least two more years. That's really interesting because he made a comment in the preseason that bothered me to no end about how he could be the Michael Finley of the new Mavericks big three. And I think he's essentially lived up to that billing. I mean, he's, he, I, I can't figure out who the Mavericks' third best player is, but his argument is as strong as anyone's because he's he's I like you said he he's basically. You think he is okay? Yeah. Well, then you know, minus it's the best in the team. Is it really? Oh, yep. Shows what I know. And he is the high, higher than Luca and KP because the things he does, nobody else does on the squad after Luca and KP. Right? There's nobody else with him. Okay. Scoring ability with his defense on the roster. Yeah. Well, so you talked about his defense a little bit, and I kind of laughed, but when you've been watching film, is his defense actually okay, or is it mainly a fat matter that he sometimes bites off, like the Mavericks force him to bite off more than he can chew in terms of who they have to guard? I mean, yeah, it's all right. You know, like it isn't great, but it's better than, you know, anyone else they can do out there. That's true. Right, he's kind of okay. He's probably their second best perimeter defender. And that's going to get them, I think, in the playoffs eventually. Oh, sure. Like, if he has to guard Paul George, yeah, that's not going to work. But <laughs> over the course of a season, I think he's okay defensively. Well, after that, I wanted to pivot because you wrote about KP's kind of – I think he had a really interesting season. He started off poorly, but that's to be expected with the fact that he's returning from so much rust. And then he hit this stretch in February, March, where he – he posted a kind of 13-game stretch, which I'm almost worried people, you know, casual observers are going to hope for from him. And he was shooting so well. 
he shot 70% from on post shots over 13 games. Like he was just a flamethrower and I don't know what to expect from him. I mean, it is, what do you really think about his season? I think, I think it, all things considered, it went about as well as you could hope. I think they figured out a role for him. He bought into the system. He got comfortable. And I think it, and I think it all worked pretty well. Like, the fact that he's really comfortable playing off Luca, I think in general, like even when those games where Luca was not playing, it was still basically the offense was running as normal. He was getting his shots in the flow of the offense. So to me, it worked. It worked. It worked out really, really well. Like to me, considering how long he was out and the transition he had to make to being the start in New York, it was pretty much as good as could be hoped for. Well, I, I have some very oddly specific questions about K- KP. You know, you, you talked about how they're a little, the Mavericks are a little reluctant to have him roll down the lane hard too often, just based on his injury history. And, you know, the fact that he has terrible biomechanics, the, the man can't land appropriately. It's really terrifying yeah. to watch him jump sometimes. I don't, but, yeah, exactly. I don't like him jumping. Right, jumping is not a thing, but what do you think he can improve as a screener? Because he has no idea how to set a screen. He has no idea where to set a screen. It's just defense is panic when he and Luca are like both near the ball at the same time. Yeah, it's it's like one of those things where he's never had to be a great screener because he's an offensive threat. It's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I would assume that can come with time, but that's a good question. I don't really know the progression of like. Do guys get better setting screens? I have to look at the progression historically, like the trends. I'm not even sure. Well, the reason I ask is because, like, when I watched Luca play with Boban, and I watched them slowly work their way down to the basket, it's almost, it's really bizarre how how well Luca can manipulate defenses with his eyes and and really his like slow playing to the basket. And with him and KP, whenever there's a roll, it's either a dive to the basket or a slip to the basket, or a, a flare-out to the three-point line, and none of it is subtle. There's no gamesmanship involved. It's like pure exploitation of space and of kind of like, I don't want to call it athleticism, but really just like what happens when a when a seven-foot-three guy does anything towards the basket. And so that's, like, I've, I've been really curious, like, like, and that's what I would hope to see because – you know, Luca doesn't even use him as a screener. They just kind of run near each other. And so, like, I, I get, I have this vision in my head of Luca actually running his man into KP and what that would do to a defense if, if you know, because defenses have to go over the top of those screens, but they're not even really screens. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm talking too much when I should be interviewing you. Um, my, no, of course, my Roy, ne- your podcast. I'm just here to give color commentary. Oh, well, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things. I, okay, that- so your question. So your question. I think what it's going to come down to, to me with Luca, you're going to have to switch the screen. He's just too good with angle, like you're saying, to drop or go over to get in the space. You've got to switch it, which means to me, it doesn't even matter. It's more about KP beating that switch the other way than anything else. I think that's what's going to end up happening because your elite defense is not going to let Luca get ahead of steam, play like, you know, four on three or something. It's just not going to happen. They're going to switch it. Next question then is, do you think Dorian Finney-Smith's shooting is sustainable? Because he's had a little bit of an outlier year because I thought I was just done with him. And this is the year where he really came through in a huge way. Had the Mavericks been able to play some defense, he would have had some unbelievable game-winning shots. But, you know, they kind of collapsed multiple times with him. What do you think of, of Finney-Smith? 
That is the question, right? That's the one weak link. That's the guy, like, you remember that Utah game where they stashed Gilbert on him at the yes. stretch of the game and he missed a shot? I, that game rings in my head, and that's the question in the playoffs because that's the guy you're going to leave open. You've got to make a shot. And honestly, I don't know if he's going to or not. Let's hope so, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, he, even when he's not hitting shots, the fact that he's such a good three point offensive rebounder has been really beneficial to them. He's just really active. Like I was, I was out on the guy and, and the fact that he's been able to have such a productive season, it's just one of the many reasons where the early season Mavericks, when they started like 13 and seven were, where the sum was, was more than the parts. It was pretty fun to watch. Oh, um, actually, I got a question for you about, yo. I've been thinking, given that teams are stashing guys on him and he's probably the worst shooter, do you think they might do more pick and roll with him as a screener and KP off the ball? I mean, you, you'd kind of like to think to me so. The adjustment. Why, I, why right, not try it? That's question. Yeah. I, I think we're – that, that actually – I've seen him try it before. I mean, they've done it a little bit. Well, that leads directly into what I was going to ask you because you, you there's a stat out there that this lineup of Finney Smith, Seth Curry, Hardaway, KP, and Luca only has 122 minutes together, which is something like three percent of the entire minutes in the 67 game season. Does that lineup like does that lack of data give anyone like does that give Rick an advantage or does it just not really matter because the Mavericks like you you kind of know what they're going to do. Or do you think Rick has, like, some stuff in his bag that he hasn't even brought out yet? Uh, that's a good question. I would think the thing is that Finney Smith pick and roll. That is the – because that allows you to give even better spacing for Luka because KP you can't leave open, right? Because the pick and roll is KP, Hardaway, Seth. Because that was when they had Powell as a role, man. That was the guy spacing it. If those three guys are spacing it, I mean, forget about it. Okay. So if, if that case – that that Finney Smith pick and roll is the big adjustment I think he has in his back pocket. He hasn't used a ton. And can Finney Smith make that four on three pass? I love the the Draymond pass basically. I'm not sure. I think he can. I'm not sure though. Well, that you that four on three thing. I wasn't even going to get into this, but Josh Bowe's big question for the season is why do they never use Luca as the role man? And the answer is because you don't want to take the ball out of his hands. But at well, the same time, do it also. he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> but. Okay. I mean, it's kind of the same so, thing. Uh, about KOC, I can't... Uh, was, KOC in preseason asked me, he was in Dallas, and he asked Luca about it. And Luca kind of gave him a non-answer, but he was just like, yeah, he doesn't want to do it. That's outstanding. Yeah, what these guys want to do really plays a much bigger role than a lot of people like me and casual fans sure. think. I mean, but... these, these, these guys aren't basketball robots, right? They're not right. Like 20 right? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Well, all right. I have one more Dallas specific question for you. And I, it's really simple. Can Luka Doncic shoot? I mean, to what degree, right? That's the seal. That's the question. I don't know. I mean, I think so. I don't know. He shoots free throws well. Actually, he doesn't shoot him that great. No, right. 
you taught me years ago right because because you kind of taught me years ago with some of your draft related stuff you know if a guy's not hitting his free throws it's really questionable but he's not terrible at free throws he's just not you know if he's i did some just some screwing around with his with his numbers to where if he hits it at like 35 percent from three-point line he's scoring 32 points a game uh which you know it's only three more but that's that's incredible. Like that's, that's MVP top three, not top six. Like that's the kind of leap. And if he's hitting okay, free so throws. My thing with Luca with that, I think it really comes down to going back to thinking about what he does and does not want to do. Mm-hmm. He's got to get himself set up to shoot more catch and shoot threes. Cause that'll raise his percentage, but to take more catch and shoot threes, like logically, that means somebody else is passing you the ball. Sure. Means you aren't dribbling the ball the whole game. And that, to me, is the question with Luka more than the shooting, is will he give the rock up? Because right now, the answer is no, he will not. Gio Yule a lot. You remember right. Sergio Yule? Yes. He had the, he'd play with the ball. And Luka would come off screens off the ball and stuff. So to me, I'd love to see Luka. Right now, it's probably like 95-5 on ball, off ball. It's a like 80-20 or like 75-25. That to me is a final step for him. Basically, I don't want him to be James Harden. I feel like right. Harden plays off the ball, and that limits his ceiling. And that, like, so, so, for, you know, my friend Matt Moore, you know him too, thinks that Luca's best path is basically playing like Harden. But I don't think he wants to play that way, and that that really like matters to me. Josh uh, wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'll send it to you after this about like the Luca handoff, like how the Mavericks get him on the move. And that's the sort of thing that they just haven't done enough of because it's so easy for him with their spacing to get this stuff. That's where, that's kind of why the shooting question just sticks in my head a little bit because I I don't know, because you said catch and shoot and there's, there's a guy, I can't remember his name, but he's, he's from South Korea on Twitter and he's been talking to me about Luca's biomechanics and his shot. Luca is way more comfortable taking step backs than he is step and catch and shoots. Like just the way his, which like that breaks my brain because I don't understand how that's possible. A catch and shoot shot is like less motion, but he's much more, it's like a catapult. Of course, you know what it is? Hmm. It's because Luca loves the basketball. He never (laughs) wants to give it up. It's just like, he can't do it. So the ball, he has to have the ball. So anything that involves him dribbling, he's more comfortable doing. I love it. And to me, you said he does want to play like Harden. I'm worried he does want to play like Harden. He wants to score 35, go for 35, 12, and 10 the rest of his career and get all those big stacks. That to me is my question. It's like, is he going to be cool going to like 25, 8, and 8 and winning championships or going to like 34, 12, and 11 and not? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh God, that's a, that's a big question. Okay. few more things. So you wrote in your post that really the, the path to the final is through these big wings, you know, LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, et cetera. The Mavs really don't have anybody of that build uh, like that, that can do anything. Is there anyone in your head that is a, you know, free agent in the coming years that would actually fit that sort of descriptor or should should the Mavericks look to be assembling a different kind of contender? To me, the guy I've been looking at, Aaron Gordon. That's really? the guy that can be available. I think she's got the size, the defensive chops, the athleticism to guard those guys. I think if you have Gordon, he actually more he can be better in that Dorian Finney Smith role role. I think that's 
obviously the number one guy is Giannis for two years. Sure. That's not possible. I think I think Aaron Gordon's the guy because you can get him somewhere. I just wonder because I've heard from the magic guys that that guy has a very specific vision of the kind of basketball player he is. And it has nothing to do with the, the with the basketball player we actually see. Sure, <laughs> but he's also 24, 25, right? Like we're saying with THJ, I think Aaron Gordon, these Orlando years, these are his wild oats years, right? They don't play right. a lot of games. He doesn't put up great numbers, but he holds the ball a lot. And at a certain place, they don't want to win. Hopefully. I think he's a winner. It sounds yeah, like he was in college, so it, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, you know, also, when you change teams a lot of times, that changes, like, your perception of yourself as a player. Sure. Sure. I mean, I think that... He's like, you come, to, you come to Dallas, he's like, you can win championship here. Like, in Orlando, if Aaron Gordon buys into being a role player, what's the difference? Right. Like, when they say no, so why would he do it? That it, it, that's kind of, that that actually hits upon I think an underscored part of the Mavericks season this year is that it became clear within two games that Luka Doncic is the superior basketball player to Chris Stapps and how basketball is played now in nearly every single way. So there were none of those nonsense alpha dog competition questions. It was just this is Luka's team and he and KP are going to ride things together. And that you know yeah, was, I mean, you got to give KP his props for that because that's what mm-hmm. he was Mm-hmm. Really pleased about that one. Well, so I came, you know, how I stumbled upon you years and years ago was some of your draft work. Now, I know with kind of your life changes and things that have been going on with kind of your role at the ringer, too, I have no idea if you have spent any time with draft-related stuff, but I wanted to ask you a couple of things all the same. Do you have any particular favorite guys that you think should go number one in this draft? Ugh. Um, so yeah, I actually was able to do a lot this year with the shutdown because there was okay. no NBA for like three months. So I'm up on all the draft guides and shout out ring an NBA draft guide. We're going to do an NBA draft show at some point next few weeks. So shout out to that. Um, yeah, so I'm probably going to have Edwards number one, but I'd have no real confidence in that. It's a, it's a bad year up top for sure. Okay. Do you have a guy now, now that I'm glad to know that you're up to date, understanding that. Do you have guys that you're interested in? The Mavericks have two picks. One of them's likely likely going to be like in the 18 range, and then they have the 31st overall pick, I believe, or around there. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly. Okay, let's hear them. So I'm actually I'm working on a profile right now on Patrick Williams of Florida State. Oh, six eight two thirty. He can shoot it. Very athletic. Got the big body. Right now he's being mocked in the mid to late first, but my guess talking to people around the league is he'll be a late lotto guy. But if he's there at 18, he's the guy 100%. Because imagine if Dorian Finney-Smith had 15 more pounds and, and he could dribble in the jump shot. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Um, my guess is that uh, Williams will not be there. So the guy I'd be looking at then is Robert Woodard from Mississippi State. So he's more of a project because he's 6'7", 230. He's built like a freaking tank, but he doesn't really have much of ball handling ability. He's way raw, more raw. He's a sophomore. He's kind of came up out of nowhere this year. The jump shot, you're not sure if it's real because he doesn't shoot free throws. He's definitely like your prototypical big wing project guy. But he's got mm-hmm. the frame. He's got the athletic ability where if his jump shot comes around, he could be the guy the Mavs need. I think I would love him at 31 if the Mavs would take that guy. 31. Okay. So I, I do need to – Who's I'm, I need, I'm scrolling through my own timeline too because there's a guy – I should know this. Uh, so Bleacher Report, 
and they did a mock draft yesterday, uh, put uh, Poku. Uh, I, I can't say his name. Oh, Alexis. my God. Pokachevsky. Oh, he's crazy. Yes. That's a tough and, one to figure. But in my head, why have one Chris Stapps Porzingis when you can have two? Because he's way, he's way more food on the perimeter than Chris Stapps. He's a legit guard. And see that. Like you can see why that why my eyes would light up about that because I got a little I got a really interesting tidbit from from uh, NBA Draft Twitter. I feel fine saying this because only like you know a thousand not enough people are going to listen to this to where this is going to make news. The last time he was officially measured was when he was sixteen and seven feet tall. So it is entirely possible he is taller now, uh, which would you know if he's seven foot two or whatnot. Oh my god. Uh, well, I, just, I mean, uh, considering he plays against six foot two Greek guys, <laughs> there's literally no one. To, there's no way to tell how tall he is because the guy he plays against, like high school players. Okay, okay. Well, that kind of takes the wind out of my sails. But that's I just have like like I, I, in my head, it's and and I I just the Mavericks cannot mess up when they have these draft picks. That's one thing that that is really you know under the radar because well, you know they, they got to use them. Right. Well. So that's actually my next question. Do you think they use both picks, or do you think they, they no. try to do something to get into next year? Because they don't have the roster would, spots for two picks. I, I doubt it. Uh, I would guess they'll try to trade them. I would, my guess is they're going to try to you know, maybe get a salary of some team trying to cut payroll or something like that. Sure. I would, I, do, I, would, I would guess they trade the number one and keep 31. Okay. And, you know, I, I want them to do something with one because the one thing where you look at these championship teams the last several years, it's it's depth of drafting. It's getting getting guys in these salary control contracts. And you and I both know the Mavericks have been terrible about this for years. They lucked into Luka, and now they, you know, you, you trade for those number one picks every time, but you still need, like, like, quality depth at cheap cost and you know you can't everybody's gonna laugh and say well they can just go get guys in their second contract well no offense i don't want the mavericks to go pay another justin jackson six million dollars or whatever he's owed like this is it's it they need to they need to hit on one of these and it bothers me that i feel like that they just kind of like well we got our two pieces luca and kp i don't know i mean they got brunson that was not a bad pick I mean, you were early on Brunson. You said Brunson was going to be better than Smith. You were the first person to say that. Yeah, well, looking back on it, I was, you know, poor Dennis. (laughs) Poor Dennis. I know, rough guy. Okay, not too many more things. So do you have any kind of uh, predictions for the bubble Dallas Mavericks? Um, Okay, my thought is if they play Denver, Utah, or OKC, they win. If they play the Clippers, they lose. And then the Rockets to toss up. Okay. I like it. Uh, I do. I think they have a pretty good chance at moving up. This Rockets game on Friday should really determine their path because they, they actually play a pretty tough schedule, uh, you know, it, it, while they're while they're in Orlando. Well, you see um, Aaron Gordon's out. That's a big loss for Houston. Mm-hmm. Well, two more questions and I'll let you go. What was your favorite thing to work on this year, this basketball season at the Ringer? Oh, interesting. Um, huh. I really enjoyed. I did. A, I did. A, went out to Minnesota. Did a piece on Cat. That was really fun. And I got to go out to Memphis. Do a piece on my old high school teammate. Love that, was, that one. Really fun to do. I'm gonna. I'll link both those in the in the podcast and in the article I'm posting. I love. I loved both of those. I, I always. I always make a point to read Jonathan Sharks. Hey, I appreciate uh, the clicks, man. 
Absolutely. So, you know, before I let you go, is there anything else? You mentioned the, the ringer draft guide, which I just, I love the design. Whoever does that stuff. I'm not sure if it's Juliet still, but you guys, like y'all's design team is incredible. Is there anything else we should know uh, involving Jonathan Sharks coming up in the yeah, uh, next few weeks? We're, re- we're relaunching group chat now at the season starting again Wednesdays. It'll be me, Justin Barrier, Rob Mahoney, and the fourth person coming in and out. So that'll be Check it on the Ringer NBA show. That's a big thing, I guess. I will look forward to that. Uh, hopefully, you guys can make Justin like basketball again, because sometimes I feel like he hates ah. it. Uh, He's too cool for school, for sure. He's an <laughs> L.A. guy now, for, you know. <laughs> well, I will really look forward to that. I do like group group chat. I had good talking to you. Oh, yeah, of course, Always man. Thanks for on. coming on. This is a uh, quick in and out. I appreciate your time and uh, enjoy that uh, time at home before, uh, you know, the world changes again. Uh, we'll talk probably, I don't know, we'll talk online and then maybe uh, maybe during the off season when there's nothing going on, we can chat. All right, man. Have a good one. All right. Later, buddy. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.